You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, have you ever been um, in a, have you ever had a relationship with somebody where you overestimated the value of that relationship and where you were in relation to the other person? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? I, uh, I was in college. Some of you may know this story, and many of you don't, but uh, I was in college. I think it was junior year, and I uh, had made friends with a number of people, but there was a girl that I had made friends with. And uh, in fact, I helped her move to another dorm and move out. My roommate and I did that kind of thing. We had a car and helped her move her stuff out. And so uh, partway through the semester, I realized that I liked this girl, okay? My wife today will tell you, if I have something going on inside of me like that, I'm just going to tell you. I, I have a terrible poker face. I'm kind of what you see is what you get, for better or worse. I learned long ago, if I've got issues, I just have to, like, get it straightened out because I can't hide it. Like, I can't fake it. It's just going to be there. And so I remember one night, I think it was during the, the week, I remember going to her dorm across the campus and uh, sitting on the steps waiting for her to come back. For some, some reason, I knew she was at the library sitting with a friend or whatever, and she was kind of surprised to see me, kind of like, not, what are you doing here? But like, oh, what, like, what is going on? And I said, hey, can, I, I wanted to talk to you. And I remember we wandered off, started walking down the the pathway, and uh, I think it started raining. I remember ducking in under some shelter at this building, and I told her that I liked her. Well, to be honest with you, I wasn't that smart at the ripe age of 20. I'm still not that smart today. I'm really thinking back. I'm not really sure that I had what I was actually hoping happened on the back end of saying that. I just, you know, I might have done it a little better, might have taken a different strategy, a different tact, you know, I don't know. But uh, I got the, uh, I just want to be friends speech. So you know what I mean? So I put myself out there and I got the, oh no, what do we do now? You like me and I really don't like you. Like I just want to be friends kind of stuff. So I don't, I, I wouldn't say I was crushed, definitely disappointed and ha wasn't really banking on that so much. I was kind of hoping there was a little more going on there too. And uh but I realized that I completely had overestimated where I stood in her eyes. Now, end of the story is I married the girl, so we know who won that one, right? So it just, <laughs> she was a little slow on the uptake, and that's kind of the joke in my family, you know? So there is hope for you if you've ever gotten the I just want to be friends speech. There is hope, guys, all right? There is hope. But do it a little better than I did, okay, is my recommendation to you. So... I open us up with that to say this. It is really easy for us to project our feelings towards somebody else on them and think that they reciprocate those back to us. It's a hundred times easier to do that with God. For us to project our sense of what God thinks of us and God in heaven is looking at us and saying, yeah, I so don't look at you the way you think I look at you. It is so easy for us to underestimate, to overestimate our relationship with God and to miss that. And so this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to a church, a church that as we walk, have been walking through this is kind of messed up. I mean, all churches are because we as people are messed up, all right? We're people, we're still fallen in a messed up, crazy world. But Paul is working 
heart over time trying to help the church get it. They thought that they were all good. They thought, look at us. We've got all of the gifts of the Spirit and all of this amazing stuff going on, and we're speaking in wisdom and in tongues and in prophecy, and oh, we're so spiritual, and look, we so believe in grace that we're willing to accept people. We were, we're, we're above all of this stuff in the world that God has given us freedom. I mean, you know, there were men that were using that freedom and forgiveness to justify why they were going to see temple prostitutes. And they were accepting of idolatry and going in to the basically the supper dinners at the local temple, saying, "Well, look, Jesus saved us. We're free. There's nothing going on with those, you know." And Paul is just like, "Guys, you don't get it. You think you're wise. You think you're mature. You're actually babies. You're not even to the toddler stage yet, let alone the teenager stage spiritually." So this morning, Paul is really blunt with them, and he says, look, guys, you are highly in danger of some, some direct discipline and punishment from God. And he uses the Old Testament to help us to get that. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bible. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen. Read with me, if you would. Paul says this. He says, for I want you to know, brothers, he's writing to people that he assumes has a relationship with Jesus, that together there's brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, he think Moses and Old Testament people, our spiritual fathers were all under the cloud. That's the pillar of cloud that God led Israel up out of Egypt. They were underneath that. They were the people of God. God was leading them, remember, through the Red Sea. He says, and they all passed through the sea. That's talking about the Red Sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Sean, what in the world is that all about? He's using a picture saying, look, these people... As the Red Sea was parted, the Egyptian army was behind the Jews living, leaving Egypt, right? You remember that story, many of, not most of you will. And as God miraculously parted the Red Sea and they went through the sea, water, wall of water on either side of them and the pillar of cloud, which we know is water and rain, right, as well, was over them. He, Paul is saying this is a picture of baptism. It's a picture of them being immersed in this spiritual water, if you will. What he is saying is this, the guys in the Old Testament, they're just like you and me. They were people that have experienced a spiritual blessing, and yet God wasn't happy with them. Read on, and it'll, it'll start to make sense. It says, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food. It's an allusion to the Lord's Supper that we're participating in this morning. And they all drank from the same spiritual drink. Here's what he's talking about. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. They were out in the desert. That's what the wilderness was. Not a lot of water, and they, they were about to literally be famished with water. And Moses had to go to God and say, God, what are we going to do? I'm responsible for hundreds of thousands of people, and there's no water. And God told Moses, Moses, hit the rock, and out of that rock will flow unbelievable amount of water. We discover later on that rock is a picture of Jesus, that Jesus was struck for us, and from him flowed the waters of living water for you and for me. So here's what Paul is driving to, and here's the real point that he's getting at. He says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They died. Their bodies, they never made it into the promised land. 
First thing I want us to recognize this morning, that if you and I are to live a life that really knows the Lord Jesus, and we're to live a life that's even remotely honoring to Him and pleasing unto Him, first thing that we need to realize is, is that we should not confuse God's blessing with God's pleasure. We shouldn't confuse God blessing us in this life with God's pleasure, God being happy with our life. We shouldn't confuse those two things. Paul is saying, look, guys, church, you don't get it. Yeah, there's a lot of blessings that you've got in your life, and you're the people of God. We're in the family of God. But you need to be careful because you're confusing the blessing of God with God being happy and pleased with your actions and your attitudes and your behaviors. You see, it's easy for you and for me as Christians to project our thoughts toward God. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've never had anybody come to me and say, Sean, I just know that God is so angry with me. I've had people question that. I think God's mad. Or why is all this happening? Have I done something wrong? Is God angry at me? Does he not love me? 99% of the time, everybody I meet, whether they're claiming to be Christians or not, is, yeah, God, God and I've got it all squared away. Everything's good. God loves me. God accepts me. Very few people, if any, have ever just, I can't remember one that has just said, I know that God is angry at me, and I don't care. I just let God be mad. Everybody assumes that God is pleased with their life. Guys, that's really dangerous ground to be on. Dangerous ground to be on. You see, God wants us to know exactly where we stand with Him. He wants us to know... There's two ditches on either side of this road. You guys know I like this analogy. You know, my goal in the wintertime is to keep it, if not between the two lines, I want to at least keep it out of the two ditches, right? On one side of things is that, that the enemy would love for us if we do, don't know Jesus is Lord, and if we are separated from God, and God is looking at us, and we're still accountable and responsible for our sin because we've never received Jesus' forgiveness for our sin. We've never surrendered our life to Him. The enemy wants us to think that everything's good and wants us to think that everything's right. And what we do is this. We look around and say, well, God blessed me. I've got a job. Well, I, I grew up in church. I believe in God. And I, you know, I know that I, you know, I kind of, but everything's good. I'm not quite living the way I should, but it's all right. God accepts me where I am. God knows. God and I got this all worked out. Guys, you're in the ditch if that's your attitude and your mindset. And the Bible tells us this morning that we should not presume that because we have a proximity to spiritual things that we have that identity. Don't, mix, don't mistake proximity with identity. You see, many of those people, if not most of them, really didn't have a deep and abiding relationship with God yet. In fact, we'll look at the story in just a minute, but they were still following idols in their heart. They made the mistake of, pro of equating proximity being close to God, if you will, and spiritual things and praying and doing spiritual stuff and religious stuff with identity, with actually being a part of the family of God. So, so on one hand, we're saying stay out of the ditch on one side. If you have not really surrendered to Jesus as Lord of your life, don't assume that everything's good. That's a dangerous place to be in. Now, there's a ditch on the other side of the road that if you do know Jesus as Lord, the enemy wants to whisper in your ears, oh, you're such a bad person. 
You're so guilty. Look at all the awful things you've done because the enemy wants to beat us down and to keep us living in shame and guilt because, guys, the reality is, is when you know Jesus is Lord, God has accepted you, not on the basis of your goodness. He's accepted you into his family on the basis of his son's goodness, on his absolute perfection, his atoning sacrifice where Jesus died in your place on the cross And when you receive that gift of salvation, your trust and full hope is placed in Jesus. You surrender your life to him as Lord of your life. You no longer stand before God as judge for your sins. Jesus stood in your place already and you're accepted and you're forgiven and you are free, you're redeemed. And as we sing on every Sunday morning, that's the joy, that's the freedom, the redemption, the, the, the freedom of guilt, the freedom of shame. And God wants, to li- wants us to live in that joy, not under the old lie. And so this morning, I'll talk about that ditch in a, more in a minute, but I want to focus on the first one for a minute. As Paul is talking to these people in Corinth, he's saying, guys, you need to make sure that you've got a right relationship with God to begin with. Let's read a little bit more of the story, and I think it'll make it even clearer to you. He says in verse 6, These things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. If you read the story of Israel in the Old Testament, they messed up a lot. The story of Exodus, you read it in Leviticus and Numbers. And I know many of you, as you've read the Bible, tried to read the Bible, oh my goodness, Numbers, oh, just Leviticus, what are we reading about? There can be some long things in there to read for sure. However, there's a lot in there that the Bible is saying God's given them to us as examples. You learn from your mistakes more than you do from your successes, generally, by and large, Right? You're like, whoo, I don't want to do that again. That blew up on me. There was a landmine there that I did not see. Not ever going to do that again. Sometimes when things go well, you don't really know why they went well. You don't really learn. It's just, oh, that worked out. You know what? God has given us a gift in the Bible. He's letting us see the, the mistakes and the faults and the things that other people did. And the Bible is there to show us that we are no different from them And God is trying to help us to avoid the mistakes that they made, helping us to move past that. Look at what these are. He gives us three. We're not going to look at all three of them. I'll let your life groups talk about them this week. He says in verse um, 7, he says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, in 23,000 thousand fell. They died in a single day. What story is that? You remember when God led the Jews out of Israel? Remember all the the plagues and all of that that went on and proving his power, proving his holiness, trying to help Israel realize that he was a powerful God. He was greater than all the gods of Egypt. In fact, if you read all the plagues, the the flies and the the locusts and the the water, they all directly were an affront to the gods that the Egyptians thought that ruled over those areas. And God was proving that he was far superior. In fact, there is no other God in reality. And he led the Jews out of against an impossibility, brought them, delivered them out of bondage, out of slavery, a picture of the slavery that Jesus delivers us from when our sin, when we trust him as Lord of our life. And he leads them out of Egypt. 
And then as they go across the Red Sea, God's plan was to bring them into the promised land, what we know today as Palestine. And before he was leading them into that area, God was revealing himself to the people of Israel. They had just through Moses learned the personal name, the, the, the personal name of God, the I am that I am, Yahweh, we would say, or Jehovah, some of the translations say, the covenant name of God. And as God, Moses went up to the mountain because God was revealing to them not only what his name was, but who he was and his character. And he was giving them his laws so that they would become his people uh, that they would have the opportunity to know him and personally serve him and, and, and enjoy and experience all that God would have for them in this life. And so God told Moses, come on up to this mountain, Moses, and I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. And so Moses and Joshua go up to the top of this mountain, and God writes with his finger, as it were, into the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments that we know of that. And God was giving Moses all kinds of other laws up there, and God was communing with Moses in the middle of that. And you know what was going on down below? The people were getting bored. The people were getting a little irritable. They were getting impatient. And the people were saying, where is Moses? What is going on here? Like, we're on the clock. What's the deal? And they went to Aaron, who was Moses' second-in-command, and they said, Aaron, we don't know where this guy Moses is. We don't even know if he's coming back anymore. You need to make us some gods that we can follow. And so Aaron, crazy guy that he was, okay, I'll do that. Everybody give me your gold earrings. So all the, everybody had gold earrings apparently in the day. That was the end thing. No silicone rings like today, right? And, uh, and they all took their earrings off, the guys and women, everybody, and they melted them down, and, Mo, and Aaron crafted, the Bible says, two golden calves. And he said, look, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. How do you think God felt about that? Slightly offended would be the understatement of the year. God told Moses, hey, you don't know it, but all of these people are just so disobedient and dishonoring me. In fact, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start all over with just you, Moses. And Moses interceded for the people of Israel. And this is the rising up and the playing, and they had a big party and a big celebration. And Aaron said, hey, we're going to celebrate, and tomorrow's going to be a festival for the I am that I am, the Lord God Almighty, which is so crazy because in Aaron's mind, these calves represented the one true God of heaven. But we know that nothing can ever represent the one true God of heaven. I said all that to say this. These were the people that were the family of God. God had just delivered them out of incredible slavery. Delivered children. Moms could have babies again without worrying would their sons and daughters be killed and raped and abused by the government of their, that they were underneath. And God was inviting them into all kinds of incredible blessing. What's the first thing they do is thumb their nose against God. The lesson for you and for me is this, is don't assume that just because you're hanging out and doing religious spiritual things or because you were raised in a church your whole life or because you believe in God, even Aaron in that moment was believing in God, don't make the mistake assuming that everything is good. Don't make the mistake that just because there is a blessing of God over your life, that God is pleased with your life. 
The Bible says God makes it rain on the just or the good and the unjust or the bad. Every person that's ever walked this planet has experienced incredible blessings of God that God has provided irrespective of where we are as people. So don't make that mistake. So I want to challenge you, if you have never consciously in your heart surrendered your life to Jesus to say, I want you to be Lord of my life, there is something drastically missing in your life. You may know about God. You may even have a belief in God, but you're not in a saving relationship with the God of heaven. Think about it this way. Let's say there's a young couple that want to get married and they want to do it right. And so they're, they're going to counseling, they're reading marriage books, they're listening to podcasts, they're following all the app, and, and they're in love, and they want to do everything so well, and they're, they're even getting older couples to mentor them, and they're hanging out with them. And fast forward, because they want to just really get this right, they don't want to mess this up, they take a long time and, and are doing this for a year or two. And after a while, they feel so close and committed to one another that they almost they feel like they're already married, like they're all in, right? They're none of, none of this dancing, like if this doesn't work or whatever. So they're hanging out with married couples. They're spending time together. They're doing all this stuff. But at the end of the day, they're not married until they say, I do. Many times in churches, people want to know God. And I'm try- I want to help those of you that are trying to understand and you're learning and you're growing and you're trying to you know, go back to maybe especially if you were raised in church and figure things out. Those are all important things to do and in reading the Bible and hanging out with Christians. All of those are really important. But ultimately, all of that should lead to a moment in your life where you realize, okay, I get it now. I'm a sinner before God. That even though in my life I've always believed in God, and even though in my life I've revered the Bible, even in my life I've, I, I know who Jesus is, and I've always, you know, believed those things, I need to yield and to surrender. I need to say I do to Jesus as the boss and Lord and Savior of my life. Folks, until you do that, Until you do that, it doesn't matter how religious or spiritual you are, how many times you've taken of the communion or the Eucharist, if your tradition would call it that, your life is separated from God in heaven and you don't know Him. So I want to challenge you to examine your heart this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you really surrendered your life to Him as Lord of your life? You don't do that without knowing it. You don't it just doesn't happen. Like things can happen to you without knowing it, right? You know, I mean, you can get uh, all kinds of things can happen to you without knowing it. But this, you know, the day you get married, you know, ladies, we've had kids, you know, the day you delivered your kids, right? You don't, that's not something you forget. You know, traumatic experiences in your life. The day loved ones die, you, you, you don't forget those things. And you know the incredible days. This is one of those incredible things that you don't forget to where you enter into a relationship with the God of heaven. So that's the first thing I want us to recognize is don't mistake God's blessings with God's pleasure. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, 
I urge you to do that. You know enough just from what I've shared to do that on your own, to reach out to the God of heaven and ask him to save you based on his son, Jesus. Second thing I want us to do is if you do know Jesus, don't overestimate your standing with God. Let me read on. He gives a couple more Old Testament examples. We're not going to read those. Let me just jump down to verse 12 and kind of cut to the chase this morning. He says in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Go down to verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, period. Highlight that. Truth brought down in reality into our world. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's the thing. Even after we know Jesus, after we know Jesus, God forgives us. We stand completely clean before him, not on our own merit. You see, if you're trying to play the game in your heart, like, well, I'm pretty good. God accepts me what I've done and all that. No, you're, you're in the ditch on the other side of the road. When you really know Jesus, you're like, I got nothing good. It's all because of Jesus, what he's done in my life. But even then, God says, guys, be careful. You're not above falling into such sin that there is tremendous rebuke that God will bring to you. And Sean, are you saying that you can like be saved and, and then you lose that and then maybe God removes that and kicks you out and revokes your adoption and somehow you're no longer a child of God? No. It's a permanent thing. When God saves you, he makes you your child, and nothing can undo what God does. No one. When you're the highest authority in the universe, nothing can change that. Nothing. And God makes us his child, the Bible says. He adopts us into his family. We are forgiven. It is a done deal, sealed in the blood of his son Jesus, paying the atoning sacrifice for our sins. However... Just like a child, just like you did with your mom and dad, when you messed up, most of you, your parents loved you. That's what it should be, a mom and a dad. Just because your kid screws up royally doesn't all of a sudden change that relationship. But it sure affects it negatively, doesn't it? I can remember some things that I did that my dad would be angry at me, rightfully so. Lying, stealing, whatever. And God is telling us this morning, guys, is don't be so smug as a Christian follower of Jesus to think that can't happen to you. He says, let you who think you stand, take heed, pay attention, watch out, lest you fall into these temptations and into these sins. He says, there's no temptation coming on to you that is unique to you. That should be an encouragement to us that every temptation that you and I face, none of them would we say, oh, I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. All of us have gone through these. All of us. And so as Paul is writing to the church, the church was struggling with idolatry. They were struggling with sexual sin. They were struggling with pride. They were struggling with spiritual pride at the highest level. And Paul is like, look, you guys are in danger here, some judgment of God. People died in the Old Testament because of this. And so he tells us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that our actions and behavior and our attitudes as we live after Jesus really matter. 
And he gives us a verse in the middle as an incredible promise and hope. I know what it's like to be in the middle and struggling with sin and just feel like you're hopeless, like, God, here I am, the 20,000th time I'm confessing this. When will I ever learn? And just truly, genuinely wanting to grow and like, am I ever going to graduate from this thing? Am I ever going to get to the point where I'm pleasing you? And being sincere in that. And then fast forward a week or a month or a day later, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and being pulled into that again. Here's what Paul's telling us, two truths to help encourage you and me in that world. He says, one, realize that God is faithful. See, the faithfulness of God is what you and I as Christians should hold on to, hold dearly, that we know that after we've received Jesus that we're not perfect. It's, it's okay. Let me, let me say it this way. It's not okay, but it is okay. Can you track with me? It's not good that we're in sin. We should never just blow it off like, well, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, it's not, we're not losing our soul. God has forgiven us and accepted us, and we stand right before Him. And out of that strength, we need to rely on the faithfulness of God that says, God still loves me even when I'm wrestling with sin in my life, that God is faithful even when I'm not faithful, even when I'm faithless, that the God of heaven, He is so faithful. In fact, He's the only entity, the only thing in the universe, if I could say thing, the only being in the world that is 100% faithful, 100% of the time will never let us down ever. He's faithful. And because of his faithfulness and because he superintends and rules over the affairs of all of the race of the world and all of the universe, he makes sure that whatever temptation that you and I are falling into, struggling with, that he provides an escape route through it. He always provides an escape hatch so that you and I might be able to bear up underneath it, might be able to endure it. So the two sides of this is for you and I to live a life that honors and pleases the Lord Jesus means you and I trust the faithfulness of God. This morning as we come and worship our Lord, it should be the faithfulness of God that we think about, the forgiveness that He purchased for us, the, the love and the redemption, and that, that we stand before Him free and clear in that. But it should also be the faithfulness of God that we say, I'm depending not on these elements to keep me clean before God. They, they can't do that. But I'm, I'm trusting in a God who loves me today, not just loved me 10 years ago when I trusted Jesus, not 15 years ago, not one year ago, but God is faithful to me right now that where I am, His grace is so working in my life that He's providing a way for me to honor Him today. He's providing that way of escape. You see, if God didn't do this, you and I would each face temptations that we could not stand against. We would. We, we can't. There's not enough willpower on this planet. Put all the willpower that the whole world can harness together. Somehow we could suck all the world, the willpower out of the world, almost like aliens, you know, just kind of suck that out of people. And if you could get it all for yourself, you still wouldn't have enough internal willpower to resist many, if not most of those things. But God says, I love you, and I'm going to provide for you today not just grace the moment and the day you were saved, and not just grace 2,000 years ago when my son died, 
not even grace going back to before God created the world, but I'm providing grace for you today that you can endure. So it's the faithfulness of God that we trust, but it also means there's our side is that we need to respond to that. The faithfulness of God requires a responsiveness by you and me. God provides a way of escape. But he tells us, you got to be the one to move your little legs. I'm not going to just do it for you. Oh, there's times where you and I, God just keeps us from stuff because we wouldn't do it. But God supernaturally says, yep, I'm going to bear back. I'm going to hold back the evil and the temptation and all the stuff that could happen. And I'm going to give you a window. But you better jump through that window. And in the middle of that, that's where our responsibility is to say, God, I trust you. I follow you today. So how does this work in real life? Guys, this means we can't go and say, well, I'm going to just... uh, I'm going to go to the strip club and hang out with the guys because the Bible says there's a way that I can escape all temptations, even here. Well, that's just kind of dumb, isn't it? I'll pick an easy one. That's just dumb. God gives us a way of escape when we are truly following Him, being wise about how we live our life, and that even in the middle of it, the confidence is is that nothing, no linebacker can come alongside and blindside us. Nothing can come and wipe us out that God doesn't give us a way of escape. So we have to be paying attention to what God is doing. We have to trust Him in the middle of that, and we have to take those escape hatches. And as we do, then the smugness and our pride and thinking, well, it can never happen to me, that goes away because we live humbly before God, not in fear, not in fear of rejection by God. Actually, we live in confidence that we are a child of the King, that God has saved me and I'm redeemed. But I'm not, I'm not living in presumption. I'm not living in arrogance. I'm just living in humility and saying, thank you, God, that you love me in today that I can keep in that journey. I can keep moving forward. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, but I know today that God today, His grace is sufficient for me to walk before Him. Guys, that's the life that God desires you and me to live. Not as Christians to... we. You know, hit the fast forward in, in your, your life 20 years from now to kind of have this Christian thing down and have your image put together and have it all together. That's where we get into trouble when we just think it can't happen to us. And God says, be careful. There's no sin in Scripture that you are incapable of committing. So I want to challenge you this morning as we worship our Lord together today, that as we participate in these elements, the juice being the uh, representative of the blood of Jesus, the bread as a representative of a picture of his body that was broken for us. I want us to, to worship and honor him today. And the two things I want to challenge you with is, is, do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you really surrendered your life to him? If you have, then we invite you to participate in this and to remember and to be grateful for the God who loves you and saved you. This morning, it's meant to be a kind of a... Uh, a reminder, an experiential uh, reminder of what Jesus did for us. And if you do know Jesus, are you living today honorably before Him? And are you trusting His faithfulness? Guys, God is so, 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 so faithful in our life. Nothing can touch us. We're untouchable 
in terms of something that would just completely undo us, annihilate us, that we would lose everything. God says, I got this. I'm faithful, but you need to trust me. You need to turn to me. You need to take that way of escape and trust me. As your Savior and your Lord, I've got you. So this morning, where are you in these two areas? Our worship team is going to come up. And as I want to lead us in a time of just thinking through those things, if you've never really received Jesus, surrendered your life to Him, this morning, as our team sings, I want to challenge you to do that. Seriously, in the surrendering of your heart, where you are all in with Him, and God, you say, I'm all in. I'm done playing games. I'm, try I'm done trying to convince myself that I've always had this Christian thing down, that I'm just kind of renewing and building my faith. Guys, a Christian faith is not like going to college where you just learn and kind of figure things out and grow. You don't ease your way into it. Yeah, you learn, but somewhere along, somewhere along the line, you got to jump into the deep end and say, God, I'm all yours. I surrender to you. If you haven't trusted Jesus, I encourage you now to do that. And if you have, worship Him. Thank Him for His faithfulness. Thank Him for the victory that He's given you already, that it's assured in your life, not just in eternity that you're forgiven of your sins, but today you're forgiven of your sins, and today you've got the freedom to overcome any and all those temptations. So as God has spoken in your heart, won't you stand? I'm going to pray for us and we'll sing. Lord, we're grateful for Jesus. Thank you for His grace, for His love. Father, as we remember that you sent your son Jesus as a perfect sacrifice, paying the penalty. As we look and think about the cross, we deserve that. We deserve your full wrath. We deserve full punishment. And your son Jesus received it all on our behalf. God, I pray that every man, woman, child would know you, would fully surrender to you. But Lord, I also know that I can't do that for anyone. It's a commitment that each must enter into as you draw them to you. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince and convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. Lord, would you change hearts through your Son this morning, I pray. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would encourage us in the freedom and the joy and the love and the life that we have, free, forgiven, and the confidence that we can have knowing that today you're giving us the ability to walk with you and to live a life that is true life change. Lord, help us to not take that for granted, to not live in fear, but to live in humility and in confidence before you. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.